Hey, everybody. This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by our new communication system, Clinic Gym Connect. Now, I said communication system. It's also a marketing system. It's also a customer service system, and it's also a follow-up system. It's all of those things because it is a communication system, and you can't provide great service, great care, or great marketing without great communication. So the secret here is that we want you to use text message-based communication. It's what people do today. If you're just emailing your patients, if you're adding them to email lists through MailChimp and Gmail and all that, man, I just think you're going to struggle to grow. But we have some solutions built into our system that will help you grow and make this year the best year you've ever had in clinic and hopefully in your gym. So check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the US. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting, amazing, incredible episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am joined today. I'm excited to, to be joined today by John DeMoss. John, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you very much, Dr. Hey, thank you for being on our show here. This is awesome. And John, you're from Synergy Wellness and Performance down in beautiful Dallas, Texas. Um, but I kind of stumbled onto you, uh, not because I stumbled into your gym, but because you recently gave a presentation all about kind of breath work. And I would love to get a little background. How the heck does a, a guy that owns a gym end up there? Absolutely. Um, so uh, getting into the field of strength conditioning, um, I cut my teeth in the industry working with athletes and team sports um, and doing kind of the traditional thing, right? Fresh out of college, went to University of Texas, got my degree in kinesiology, um, fresh out all I wanted to do was work with pro athletes, right? Like that's the dream. And it's just going to be amazing. And all of my favorite players I'm going to be able to work with, this going to be great. Um, then reality hit, right? <laughs> um, and so most of that early phase was actually working, like I said, team sports. We're doing um, volleyball, football, working with a couple high schools um, with just a few of their teams. Um, and doing the best with the information we had at hand, right? So this was 15 years ago when I first got started. Now- um, Your weights were made out of stone and you know, <laughs> just carving out kettlebells, but- Exactly, yeah. Walk into the gym uphill both ways in the cold, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, the reason I say that is, uh, as you can attest to, a lot of the education we get in this industry happens after school. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to kind of have this drive, this kind of need for research and, and figuring out um, not only for myself personally, which is what got me into the industry in the first place, um, but for obviously reasons. Now I'm a professional coach. I'm working with athletes. Um, it's my responsibility to kind of help them perform their best. Um, and so as I'm doing that, unbeknownst to myself, the more research I do, the more that I learn, the more that I work with the athletes and kind of implement what I'm learning. I'm building in a way my own methodology, my own approach to sport performance. Um, and once again, Everything that I do, I tell my athletes this all the time, comes from a very selfish place because I was also a competitive athlete at that time. So 
I'm trying to boost my own performance and figure out ways. Uh, I always like to try things first before I give them to athletes so I can understand the effect it's going to have. Uh, I know that not everybody's going to have the same benefit that I am from a particular exercise, but at least it lets me know the cost of doing business and what they can expect. Um, kind of I, I always love the prepositional phrase. Oh, dude, I did this the other day and it totally sucked. So let me show you how to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is going to be great for you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so the more and more that I kept kind of learning, kept researching, the more I got kind of driven into darker corners um, and whether that was high technology usage, um, which a lot of places don't have access to, myself included. Um, I was fascinated by it and kind of the, the tools and mechanics of that. Um, everything from, you know, motion technology uh, to metabolic analyzers and, and the whole nine yards, right? Um, I wanted to see how I could move the needle without access to those tools. Um, and as I kind of progressed, a lot of the things that we were doing early on were validated later on when we did get some access to those tools. Um, so it was really nice to kind of see that. Um, what got me into breathwork actually, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so here in Texas, we do have a population of hunters. I have a lot of, um, uh, gentlemen and women that I work with that are avid hunters that head out west. Now, we don't have very tall mountains here in Texas, so preparation for the mountains was tricky. You know, they're asking me, what can I do to train it out or to be ready for the altitude? Uh, what can I do to manage, um, and not to get too deep into the hunting aspect of it, but what can I do to manage when I'm running up a ridgeline? I need to call my heart rate to make an accurate shot so I can get an ethical harvest of an animal. Um, those were things I had not even contemplated, uh, even though myself, I am a hunter. So that was, uh, I want to say maybe eight years ago. Um, and so I started kind of looking into different things, everything from what typically people draw their, uh, attention to breath work, which is going to be in the meditation, kind of calming down those kind of aspects, um, to free diving right? To people that are, are using breath holds and, and what can they get accomplished? Um, you know, popular names like Laird Hamilton dropping down underwater and carrying stones and, and that kind of um, traditional training, so to speak, for water sports and things like that uh, were intriguing. And it just like, what if I could pull those benefits, not obviously for the water, but for athletes that I'm working with? Um, that kind of led me down the pathway into the science behind that training, why that has such a big impact, why people would expose themselves to training methodologies like that. Um, now, of course, it makes sense for Laird. He's a surfer. Um, but like I said, I want to get to the science of why that was beneficial. And then I came across um, a couple of individuals, Brian McKenzie uh, and Rob Wilson. Mm -hmm. That was a game changer for myself. Um, they've been studying breath work. Uh, and are actually friends with Laird Hamilton, um, but they've been studying breath work for a while. That turned me on to some more clinical aspects of things. Uh, Patrick McCune with Oxygen Advantage, the Buteco Method, um, those kind of things led me down, like I said, this deep, dark rabbit hole. And I continue to allow myself to be led down that rabbit hole because the more that I implemented, the more I saw the benefit. Once again, not only for myself, but the athletes that I was working with. Um, it made sense that breath should be a focus uh, because not for obvious reasons of staying alive, um, but just the reasons in the conditioning side of things, strength and conditioning. I felt like the conditioning side was literally just, all right, we're going to go run or bike or 
whatever the case may be. We're going to do this activity for a certain amount of time and that'll just check that box and we can move on and get back to the fun stuff, throwing heavyweights around. Um, now so, let me, can I, yeah, can I stop you real quick, John? Sure. So you said you were, you were seeing some success with, with clients, but early on, what were some of the first successes you saw working with people? Because I mean, you sound like a motivated guy. You probably tried every sort of exercise, every prep, you know, preparatory method between foam rolling and animal flow and stretching and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what was it that you go, holy crap, this is changing stuff. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, what we started noticing early on was kind of the ease that the athletes were doing things that used to be hard. Um, if that makes sense. Right. So things that used to be challenging to them were less challenging. Now, I understand everybody's going to be like, well, of course, it's the said principle. You're exposing this. They're getting better. They're getting more efficient, which is 100% true. But um, we were still progressing things uh, in terms of intensity, right? Complexity, it stayed the same. But of course, we're, we're progressing the intensity. We're doing higher velocity, heavier weight, uh, things like that, right? But the movements themselves, the complexity of it had stayed put. Now, when they started getting easier from that side of it, we start adding the complexity and kind of keeping the intensity the same. It's this kind of ebb and flow of changing one component and not both at the same time. Um, what we noticed though is when we made those adjustments and toggled those switches, it was like hyperspeed, right? These athletes are like, okay, I struggled with one. I kind of get better at it. I move the needle, you know, a few degrees, and then you bump the other side. When we started this focus on breath work, it was moving the needle of full rotation. It was like, oh, wow, okay, maybe we're onto something here. The more that we focused on, and kind of a, just an aside here, maybe some PRI principles um, in terms of the, the methods of ventilation and how we were getting these athletes to kind of control that vacuum, so to speak. Um, the more that we could focus on the position of things, the more that we had them focus on respiration mechanics, lifts started going up a lot faster weight started going up a lot faster. Complexity of movement became a little bit easier for them to make those adjustments um, because the focus became not just what's your numbers, right? What, what's your test score? It became, how are we doing this? Like, what is the impact on your body? Um, previously, before kind of awareness in some of these aspects, we were just burning athletes out and we just chalk that up to fatigue. It, uh, you know, in the early days, I'll be one to admit it. It became that like, yeah, I totally just toasted that athlete. That was great. Um, losing my sight of responsibility of that athlete has to go to practice and that athlete has to compete. They're not here for my pleasure of just doing some awesome workouts so I can post a video on Instagram. This is their career in a way, regardless of it's at high school, collegiate, professional level. Mm -hmm. This is their enjoyment of their sport. I'm here to make them better. So who cares if I can, you know, crush an athlete, go do a thousand lunges. That'll smoke anybody. <laughs> that person won't be able to walk for a few days though. And now I've kind of cut them out of getting better. Um, right. So once again, kind of getting back to that from the performance side of things, watching the stress on the body become more manageable for them so that we could add complexity sooner uh, and prepare them for some of the, the chaos, so to speak of sports. Uh -huh that was really kind of the eye opener of like, wow, we're getting to things I thought we wouldn't get to for a week or two. We're here, which is great. Like I said, it speeds up the training calendar in a way 
um, that we can touch on more qualities of athleticism to prepare this athlete for competition. So uh, when you look back on those early days and you saw like these lifts improve uh, Mm -hmm. quickly or, or, you know, like you're saying, the complexity was the same, the intensity could take a a significant jump. Mm -hmm. What was what was your early theory of what was going on? I mean, were you like, Hey, I'm oxygenating the brain or, um, you know, um, is it the position of the, so you mentioned like PRI, is it the anatomical position of the respiratory apparatus? Like, what did you think early on was, was creating such a big difference between what you were currently doing in this new method? Uh, I'd say the key, honestly, started with just the awareness. Um, beforehand, it was almost like the black box, right? It's like, hey, we're doing something and they're kind of getting better. Uh, obviously, this is what we're after. But at the same time, I don't really know why, other than just the fact that we're continually exposing them to these tougher challenges. Um, but the more, like I said, that I kind of picked up and had that focus on position, on the respiration mechanics, it started to make more sense that it was how the athlete and how the body was perceiving that stress. They were able to handle more because they understood anytime my posture is kicked out of position, I'm going to be working harder. Anytime I'm working harder, I'm going to fatigue faster. Right. So, uh, I competed in triathlon for a number of years. Now I always go back to this, you know, you pick up these little gems from coaches along the way. Um, my triathlon coach said the person that has the best chance of winning the race is the athlete that holds your t- technique the longest, right? He was teaching us a lesson about efficiency and whether that's cycling, running, swimming, just in the discipline of triathlon. Yeah. hundred uh, percent true, right? If I start kind of fading, I start flailing my arms. If I start crossing my body uh, with my arms while I'm running this, that, and the other, obviously it's just going to fatigue me faster. It's going to sure. make it harder on myself to complete these. Now, of course, that's an endurance event. Um, and so we talk about this even with power athletes because um, they don't think much about energy transfer, energy exchange. It's like rip it, rip it. I get time in between. I get to do it again. And then, um, but having that ability to recover is actually huge, especially for the power athletes because yeah, great. You can go give me 10 great swings. Uh, you can throw 10 hard fastballs, whatever the case may be. But then that decline happens super fast and they can't get it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm love golf and we work with a lot of golfers. And if you look at a four day tournament, it's basically who can degrade their game the least amount. You'll see some standout scores on Thursday and Friday. But by Sunday, you know, it's like if you can just keep the wheels on the wagon longer than anybody else around you, oftentimes you'll win. A hundred percent. And that, uh, in all honesty, kind of became our doctrine for training right? Because with this kind of insight from a previous coach, with this new uh, revelation, so to speak, from the educational material I was reading, that kind of became the thing, right? Like, let's eliminate mistakes. So let's not just push capacity for the sake of pushing capacity. Let's make sure these athletes are doing it well. Um, Let's keep an eye uh, on their body and how they're maintaining their body um, so that we don't have any breakdowns or can at least mitigate some of the damage uh, that the training competition schedule has on them. Uh, and to your point, let's keep our mistakes to a minimum um, so that we don't have the wheels fall off. You know, we, we can't have that mid-competition because now that athlete is going to be on the struggle bus. Um, so having them keep a focus on that, understanding physiologically what we're paying attention to, and it's not just the numbers on the record wall. Because um, at the end of the day, that's not what they're competing in. Now, of course, 
unless they're a strength athlete. And that is what they're competing in. But I was working with team sport athletes. Um, and it really didn't matter at the end of the day what that bench press number was, um, how many deadlift reps they got. What mattered, obviously, was their performance on the field, on the court. And uh, once we started, like I said, really putting the focus on physiologically what, what was occurring, that's when we started seeing some really big changes, uh, really big improvements. So, I mean, here you are talking about team sports, and, and my mm-hmm. thought goes immediately. When you first introduced the idea of breathing or breath work, you had to have gotten some crazy looks, right? Like- oh, yes. Uh, I think I set the record for eye rolls in a high school um, <laughs> weight room. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. No. So for those listening, when, when people get to the point where they realize this is a big deal, what are some ways to kind of start introducing that into the team training environment? Cause I mean, nobody wants to go to their gym to lay on their back and, you know, uh, lay on the turf when there's weights all around them, pull up bars all around them, bands all around them. Mm-hmm. And you're laying there just, you know, relaxing and breathing. It feels like what the heck are we doing here? Um, how have you kind of overcome that? And what, what lessons have you learned? Oh, hundred uh, percent. Because I made those same mistakes. Um, like I said, you walk into a weight room full of high school um, boys that would play football. And that's, you know, I, that's what I came in with. All right, you guys, we're going to lay down flat on your back. And that did not go well. Um, and so I learned these lessons the hard way. Right. But the key for them was understanding the importance of it. Right. Uh, my favorite thing is uh, I like to say I serve humble pie daily you take a high school athlete uh, and then like I said, I just use the high school reference because I spent seven years as a high school strength coach. So that's the majority of the work my, that I've done. My condolences, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I have a receding hairline uh, <laughs> for a reason. Um, but after learning those lessons quickly, like this doesn't get their attention. They're not really engaging in the process. Um, like I said, we serve humble pie. So what we tried to do was have them get in effect um, that they related to intensity. We did that for the reason so they could see how beneficial this work was. Um, so one of my favorite things was these trials that we did. Typically, we do these with sprint intervals. And what we'll have the athletes do, we work through three sprints. All we ask them to do um, is time the recovery. They're usually working within a group. So we have a timer and somebody recording the information and obviously an athlete doing the sprint interval itself. Uh, so they go through the interval. The only information we give is we want you to time yourself on how quickly you can get back to this baseline. The baseline we use for these athletes uh, was three consecutive seven second exhales. Doesn't matter how long the inhale was, but on the exhale, you're timing that we want to get to seven seconds, right? Another sharp inhale, seven seconds, another sharp inhale, seven seconds. When you can do that, stop the timer. Uh, that uh, three consecutive seven-second exhales comes from the work of Dr. Brian Hickey, um, Florida A&M, working with athletes. What he found was that typically equates to um, heartbeats of 199, or sorry, 99 heartbeats per minute. Hmm. Let me do another one for 119, but 99 heartbeats a minute, all right? Which is kind of a general blanket statement. But once again, I'm trying to find ways that I can do this on the field of play and not have to worry about athletes checking um, wristwatches for the heart rate monitors. We didn't have that. So if I don't have access to that, I got to find a way to make this work. So getting back to the trials, 
um, what they would do, like I said, is time that traditionally for a high school athlete, you know, they're kind of key man and superwoman at that age. Yep. That would take about a minute and a half, right? We did that three times, find the average, there's your score. After that, we would do the same trials, but now we had specific instructions. We were going to give them specific ways to breathe while they're doing their trial and specific ways to breathe to recover. Now, it's not um, shocking that, of course, once they did this, their time to recover for a lot of them was actually cut in half. So what oh, we would tell close. them, yeah. So what we would tell them, which one of these is better, right? It's obvious. You can do these intervals and crush it, but be smoked in the process. And this was only three. So imagine trying to play a full quarter, a half, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, or you can do the way in which we did it, which you still crushed, but you kept your energy level at a, at a sustainable quality that you could perform that over and over again. Your time to recover was mm-hmm. cut in half. So whether you do have shift work, hockey players. We also worked a lot with them. Um, that time that you have in between line changes, you're focused on breath. Next time you go out, you're super fresh. Meanwhile, your opponent who's caught up on the wrong things, gasping for air, talking about the puck that he got stripped of or how the umpire robbed him of a goal, whatever the case may be, they're focused on the wrong things. Our goal was to keep our athletes focused on themselves, taking care of that first so that they could better serve their team. Um, so when you do those trials, they just see it, right? The experience is there. Now I've got them hooked. They're like, okay, what else, coach? Yeah. What can we do now? Um, plus, that gets them out of breath. And for, once again, the population that I work with, that's what they want, right? Not what they need necessarily, but that's what they want. And now I've given that to them. And once again, I've got them. I've got my foot in the door now. I can discuss a little yeah. bit more of these principles. You got them right where you want them. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I want to tease a question, uh, and then we're going to do a little, we're going to pay some bills here. But here's my question: Once you you started doing this, especially in the team aspect, and don't answer this yet, but think about this while I kind of do my live read. Sure. What's the the biggest, um, uh, you know, the biggest change that you weren't expecting? So you you kind of chase this from a performance standpoint, but what was the biggest change that you weren't expecting? Like people reporting better sleep or better, you know, uh, less injuries or, uh, migraine headaches going away, things like that, because team sports present a lot of different issues that we have to kind of overcome. So right. I'd love to talk about that. First, let me talk about, uh, clinic gym connect clinic gym connect is a software, uh, John that we, uh, have developed because we want people to communicate with their clients better. They want them to communicate with their patients better. And it's very simple. If you just communicate the way that our clients are already communicating, which is through text messaging. Don't rely on email. Email has at best like a 15 to 20% open rate. Um, Everybody I know has seven or more email addresses, but typically only one mobile phone number. So use that mobile phone number to communicate because it cuts through all the BS uh, in their inbox and you're not stuck in email jail, as I say it. So Clinic Gym Connect offers a bevy of ways to communicate through text messaging. We can send software, or sorry, we can send surveys, we can send uh, messages, we can attach pictures and links and all sorts of stuff to make your life easier, help you communicate with your clients, give them a great experience, all while saving you time. So if you're interested, check out clinicgymconnect.com, clinicgymconnect.com. And now we'll get back to John. So John. 
what was the biggest additional benefit you saw once you started doing this in the teams? So interestingly enough, uh, I would say, honestly, the biggest benefit was their buy-in. Um, because trying to, once again, sell this to uh, an athlete, even just in general, um, because like I said, we do uh, have the luxury of working with some professional athletes, collegiate athletes as well. Um, when you're sold in this industry on the go, 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 mm-hmm. bigger, faster, stronger, uh, no pain, no gain, when you're sold on that mentality, right? And then somebody comes in and asks you, not necessarily to slow down, but to pay attention on something that's typically viewed as calming, quiet, relaxing. Um, like you had mentioned earlier, you do get some weird looks. You do get some eye rolls. You can kind of literally see them tuning you out. Um, so to, to watch the benefit in action and see the athlete, see like, oh, hold on. This is something I can actually control. Mm-hmm. And it gives me uh, autonomy. This gives me a responsibility for my own performance. That buy-in was huge because now they're starting to look and find ways through that in the rest of their preparation, right? Mm. What else can I do where I can actually manipulate these things on my own? Uh, it yeah, makes conversations I, about diet, hydration a lot easier. And it kind of piggybacks on those kind of aspects. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think too, those athletes, probably a lot of them have worked out at other places or gone through training programs. But when you start talking about breath and they can see that, like you said, their recovery improves by 50% or more. Mm-hmm. When they see that and, you know, you go to another gym, they're not even talking about that. You're not even, you're not even in the same conversation. You know, it's, nope. it's always better to, to have a higher priced um, membership because, you know, fewer clients at higher price is a better business to run in any sort of gym. But it's always hard to delineate, like, why, what are we charging this extra money for? And I'm sure that that buy-in of like, you know, when I just picture what that 17-year-old high school football player is like telling him, no, man, he has this, we like lay on our back and we breathe and it's crazy, man. And they're like, uh, what, what are you talking about? But when they see the results and they see that improvement, you know, I'm sure the buy-in of, hey, I want to sign up for another month is huge when they got a huge strength gain early on. For sure. For sure. It makes a really big difference. And uh, yeah. like I said, I made a lot of mistakes uh, during my career. Um, when don't, I Don't worry, dude. You'll make a couple more in the future, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Uh, but one of them, uh, because we do work a lot on movement, biomechanics, things like that, uh, we gained a reputation here locally for, quote unquote, fixing athletes. Um, mm. We had some injured athletes that would come in. We would work on uh, doing what we call pain-free fitness and different aspects of how to get their body working properly. Um, one of the things though, is we kind of became uh, more of like glorified physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I had to delineate that is because I'm not a licensed physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So we had people that were coming like directly post-op, like, hey, I hear you can fix me. And I was like, um, no, 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 there's actually specialists for that. We take over from the performance side though. Um, and we can kind of piggyback off that and do that bridge back to, uh, the field of play. Um, it became that same thing with the breath work, right? When we started out, like I said, slower, people like, okay, hold on. So now I'm just going to come in. I was all geared up, ready to really kind of once again, sling some weights and then you have me slow down immediately. Um, making those mistakes early on really helped me see that at the end of the day, we are obviously here for the athlete and their performance. I need to mix in what they need, but I also need to give them what they want. 
and finding those, once again, trials to really help them kind of, oh, okay, yeah, I'm out of breath, I'm sweaty, but you've got me focused on that. And now I really feel the performance benefit. It clicks in their head. Like I said, okay, so this is what training is about. It's not just showing up, a coach yells at me to run fast or throw some weights and then I leave and then I do it again the next day and the next day. Um, it engages them in the process of their own performance boost. Um, that was huge for me and it's only helped continue that development for themselves. Uh, we really preach a lot about autonomy. Um, cause I tell the athletes, I'm not on the field with you. Um, so I, I can't be there to kind of run through these things. You have to take ownership on your own. You have to notice when you're at, when your opponent is tired and know that that's your moment to get better, even for those 10 seconds. All right, I'm going to do a couple of recovery breaths so that I can go attack because I see them starting to fade. I want to make sure that I'm not doing it myself. That's awesome. And what, um, does it seem to work better just in curiosity younger or I'm sure it works with everybody, but focusing on this. So I work with a lot of golfers and I would say the average, average age of my clients, my best clients is probably 64, 66, something like that mm-hmm. versus, you know, when you're in high school, um, it's funny. The 66 year olds know not to fuel themselves with Doritos and, uh, and <laughs> Mountain Dew, right. but they don't have the, um, <laughs> resiliency that an 18 year old male body does, you know, high school body does. So it's like a balance, right? Uh, I see some high schoolers with some horrendous posture and you yes. know, they're stuck in chairs and desks all day. Whereas I get 66 year olds or, you know, a, attorneys and accountants and, and judges. And, and so they're sitting, but typically have a little bit better posture, but they also have a lot of injuries. Where do you see it? Re- what age group do you see some real good progress with this? Um, I would definitely say the older crowd. Um, okay. It's hard for the younger crowd to make those attachments, right? So I always like to tell them, you're thriving in spite of what you're doing to your body. <laughs> um, you could literally take a bullet. And, and by the way, wipe, wipe the Taco Bell off your mouth and uh, get out yeah, on the exactly, training floor, right? right? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're thriving in spite of what you're doing to your body, not because of, of what you're doing, right? And um, it's harder for them to see, just like we've all gone through that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's harder for them to see any of that deleterious effect because they're too young, right? They won't feel the effects of some of these um, quote unquote unhealthy behaviors until yeah. later on. They wake up yeah. tomorrow and they're back to hundred <laughs> percent. Exactly. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm recovered. I'm always in the green. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But with the uh, older population um, and I would say as far as athletes are concerned, that's 30 plus, you know, we have a lot of, um, weekend warrior types. We have a lot of age group competitors uh, that are still out there um, enjoying the sports that they love. Um, to your point, absolutely. They're more engaged because they almost need it, right? They, they do have the bumps and bruises and uh, surgical scars from when they were younger and competing uh, at a higher level. Um, and so they are more mindful, right? They, they have this sensation, well, I can't do it as well as I used to. So I've got to be the seasoned athlete and figure out creative ways to still put some performance out there, still compete at the level that I think I can. Um, Mm. And so they attach better and it's true, right? Physiology is a real thing. And we do have some degradation in certain components as we get older. Um, And having once again, that kind of focus on the physiological effect, at least we can maximize what we've got. Um, I have 
a pretty decent general population that is kind of mid thirties to mid fifties. Mm. I tell them, especially the, the gentlemen, you know, that we're losing lean muscle mass uh, as we get older. So our job is to maintain as best we can for as long as possible what we've got. And we're going to do that by still progressively loading you. Uh, we're just going to be smart about it, right? You may never, as a 50-year-old, have a 400-pound deadlift. That's okay, because as a 50-year-old, do you need one? Um, mm-hmm. it, it depends on what you're up to, right? Uh, most of my people are not doing anything of that sort. So they kind of come to accept that. Whereas the mentality, of course, for the younger kid is, well, I need that 400-pound deadlift just because like it's cool and it's a, it's a big number. Um, they may not need it either. It just depends once again on on the sport that they're exposing themselves to. But so it's, uh, go ahead. I don't know why I just remember this. I was told a very funny joke by the way about working with older clients. (laughs) Uh, so there's this, here's the joke. So there's this, uh, trainer working with an old, older guy at the gym and the guys, you know, older guys, super wealthy. He's done really well for himself. And, uh, he's working out with the trainer and these these hot young girls walk in, right? And they got the tight Lulu tops on and yoga <laughs> pants and they're like in college age or something. And the the old guy looks at the trainer and says, hey man, what machine should I use to impress those girls? And the trainer looks at him and laughs and he says, the only chance you've got is to go down to the lobby and use the ATM machine, my friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of that joke. It's kind of funny, but um, yeah, I, I know that, you know, again, getting that buy-in, but what I find with those 66 year old golfers, another advantage is, you know, they don't care what works. You know, they're at that point in their life where like, show me something that works. I, I don't really care what it's called or I might not know of it. Yes. They don't need things to look cool or be cool. It's just like, Hey, feeling and performing is feeling great and performing well is better than whatever. Whereas in high school, you know, you still got to have your, your hat on just the right way crooked so that you can be cool. A hundred percent. Like I said, yeah, we definitely get a lot more buy-in from uh, the older population. Um, and, and for that reason, they get this, a bigger benefit for the relative to themselves mm-hmm. is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like I said, with the younger kids, we're still trying to unpack that um, yeah. before they get into some bad habits or before they neglect this for too much longer. Uh, and to your point, as they're younger, they do have that higher ability, that higher potential for athleticism, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the older population does attach well. It's just the gains aren't as high because of where they're at so, biologically. Yeah. So, John, right before we hit record, you said that you really have established that breathing and breath work is, is one of your six pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for those listening, so we can understand kind of where you're coming from and all this, what are the other five pillars that you see as part of a, I don't want to say perfect, but as a, as a great training program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, we term them our uh, inputs of athleticism. Um, the first one is posture. The only reason posture is first is because it impacts the way you breathe. Um, otherwise, it would be breathing. Uh, because it, breathing is number two, by the way. Uh, and that's just because of the energy transfer. Um, Going in from the metabolic effect, obviously, like you said, whether you're a power athlete or an endurance athlete, it doesn't matter. It's all about how efficient you can be with that energy exchange. Um, Number three is what we call selective tension. Um, Just how well you set tension in the body. It's not just about being stiff and rigid. Sometimes you need to be completely relaxed. And it's finding that full continuum of when can we have relaxation and when can we have stiffness. 
and how do we exchange in between those. Um, we also have weight transfer, level change, and then rate of force development. Um, and so working through that, we hit all of those components um, every time we work out, right? We're going to have a different focus on each of those. The way we kind of split up our training week, um, this isn't in any particular order, but we have two strength days. We have a conditioning day. We have what we call an active recovery day. Um, then from the fifth, oh, sorry, we have an agility day. And then the last one uh, is either going to be based on your goal, another strength day, another conditioning day, or another agility day, kind of where you're at in your performance calendar and those kind of aspects. So the reason I bring that up, like I said, is we touch on all six inputs each training session. It's just going to be what's the focus um, if we're kind of preseason, offseason, in season, uh, those kind of things. And so we can kind of just adjust a little bit more, let's just say, uh, particular drills. One of my favorite is going to be a plank, mm-hmm. right? Super sexy, right? The old plank. <laughs> but uh, with that plank, I can cover three drills. I can get posture. I can get breath. I can get tension. Interesting. Um, so those kind of aspects. And we just kind of organize it that way. Um, if it's a conditioning day, obviously we're not going to be worried about rate of force development. Um, so we can kind of toggle that down just a bit um, and spend a little bit more time on some of the other things. The obvious one for conditioning is going to be breath work and what that looks like throughout the training um, itself. But those are the six uh, um, that we kind of focus in on and help us stay relative to the physiology of the athlete and how we're impacting that as opposed to just, once again, how much weight can you lift um, and why are you not getting better just because you have a 400-pound bench press? Yeah, John, you know that the only performance metric that ever matters is how much do you bench? Exactly. I mean, it's been around longer than you and I, and it will continue to be around. Unfortunately, um, mm. I'm hoping that more uh, more experiences like Kevin Durant, who famously couldn't bench press his body weight, um, but still went on to lead the NBA in scoring. I think. Four I was going to say, times. when you have those millions of dollars that he makes every year <laughs> weighing down the bar, <laughs> exactly. it is pretty difficult, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I would guess at this point, Patrick Mahomes' bench press is pretty low too, simply because when you you know you have 500 million dollars riding on your shoulders, it's just. It's yeah, I mean, he's he's strengthening his legs, but he doesn't need that bench. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, this has been super interesting talking all about breath work. For people that are like digging this and they're like, hey, man, I want some more information. I want to kind of uh, dive deeper into this. Where can they find some resources, education, any, any presentations you have or courses um, so they can kind of dive down this path as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it is kind of a... The topic du jour, so to speak, uh, more and more people are kind of getting exposed to breath work in, mm-hmm. in a few different capacities. Um, I would definitely point to um, Shift. So Shift is actually the company for Rob Wilson and Brian McKenzie um, because they cover a whole lot of different realms. Um, that's is that good, an education kind of company? Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. perfect. Um, and they do uh, workshops. Well, you know, pre-pandemic, they did workshops uh, called Art of Breath. So that's kind of a division of shift, but I would definitely look to them. Uh, Patrick McCune with Oxygen Advantage uh, has just actually come out with a new book, but uh, Oxygen Advantage was uh, the big one that he had out um, a year or two ago. That's a huge resource. Uh, James Nestor just came out with Breath. Uh, it was another great book. Um, I would start with those uh, because those are not only talking about, once again, the respiration mechanics, but the real big benefits of how this applies to 
physiology and performance aspect of things. Um, and just from a strength conditioning kind of physical, um, athletic performance output, that's going to be a little bit more in line with what, um, I believe a lot of your audience is going to be looking at, uh, as opposed to just, uh, some of the clinical handbooks that we have and some of the textbooks, great information to have and, and fundamental information to have, but at the same time, those are easy to kind of like overlook. Okay. How's this really apply? I've, I've got a, an athlete here. I need to work with. I don't really need to get into alveoli structures. <laughs> if, if, you know, alveoli structures are always good to bring up if you're at a bar and you're trying to attract people around you to, you know, <laughs> or wait, no, if you want to get people away from you, that's a good thing to bring up. But, right. Yeah, exactly. That's a yeah. great God, this place is packed. I'm going to go into a dissertation on alveoli structures. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Well, John, if people want to get a hold of you personally, uh, what's the best way to uh, kind of reach out and chat with you if they have questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the best way is actually going to be through email. Um, I do have a full uh, coaching schedule, so it makes it difficult to get a hold of me in the morning and in the evening, but midday. Um, but email is always great access. So it's John, J-O-N, no H, John at synergyathletic.com. That's all one word. Um, and then you could also do through Instagram. Our Instagram handle is Synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y, W-P. Um, Synergy, W-P. Yes, sir. Uh, those are really good ways to access that. Uh, and that's real low tech, but that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> so a 40-year-old, um, I don't get into all the fancy stuff. So those awesome. seem to work better for me. All right. Well, thanks so much for the time today, John. This has been exciting. And uh, I'm kind of interested to go down. Uh, I'm going to probably check out the uh, shift and, and find some information about this because absolutely. Yeah. It's I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested now. So anyways, I appreciate your time today. And on behalf of John DeMoss, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Dr. Satterley. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. As always, this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. What is Clinic Gym Connect? Well, it is a communication software that allows you to connect with your clients, communicate, market to them, follow up, provide amazing service, and help them fall in love with you even more than they already do. So if you are interested in all those things and people falling in love with you, you should probably check out ClinicGymConnect.com. Once again, that's ClinicGymConnect.com.